Um, the reason why I have this chair is because I have um, pneumonia. I, I didn't tell Glenn that when he asked me, when he called me. <laughs> um, so just let me get organized here, and um, I'll start with a prayer, and then we'll move forward with what the Lord wants to speak, I believe, to this body. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you truly are our king. I thank you, Lord, for your presence. I thank you for your power. I thank you for your word. I thank you for this body, Lord God. I thank you that this is your habitation, that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted up, Lord Jesus, this day amongst your body. I thank you, Lord, that you do have a word for your people. And I thank you, Lord, that your word is life. It will be life to our bones. And it will sustain us in every storm. It would cause our anchor to go deep. And Lord, it is there you will hold us. So I pray, Lord Jesus, as we crack open the word of God in this broken vessel I pray, Lord, in my weakness that you truly would be made strong. I pray that all attention would not be on me, but the attention would be fully on you, Lord. Would you do this by your Holy Spirit? Would you direct our hearts? Would you direct our gaze onto your face? And I ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, does this come up a little before it does? Thanks. Okay, great. Uh, a good preacher should have all this in order before they get up there. Um, so I come very, very weak. Um, okay. I want to start by reading a hymn, the words to a hymn that came immediately on my heart this morning when I woke up, and I know, knew it was the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God will speak life to you as your ears heed him. So... I ask that as I read this, that you just kind of close your eyes, because that what this message is going to be about, really what this hymn is talking about. It says, oh, so are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior, and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go, grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Through death into life everlasting, he passed and we follow him there. O'er us, sin has no more hath dominion, for more than conquerors we are. And then it goes back to say, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim 
in the light of his glory and grace. His word shall not fail you. He promised, believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. I believe that the Lord wants us to turn our eyes upon him. I don't know your situation. I don't know where you are in life. I just know that I live life along with everybody else. And life can really come in and give some hard blows. But it is when we turn our eyes upon Jesus. It is when we're looking at him. It is when we can behold him that he can take us and he can make all things look so much different than often that they are and give us the strength to continue on to what he has called us to do because we're not done yet. We're not done yet. So I'm going to be speaking actually from the text out of Exodus 25. I'm going to be going from Exodus into Hebrews and kind of looking back and forth there um, because we're going to take a journey. We're going to take a journey with the Israelites because we are much like the Israelites. And I know so much that sometimes, you know, in talking with Christians and listening to them that a lot of, a lot of Christians have their favorite books, their, their favorite stuff from the Bible. And a lot of Christians sometimes are really afraid to go into the Old Testament because of stuff that's there, the laws. But in the Old Testament, from the beginning of the word of God to the end of the word of God is Jesus, is Jesus everywhere. So if you like the Gospel of John and the New Testament because of Jesus, then you're going to love the Old Testament because it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And today, that's what we're going to look at, Jesus. So even though we're going to land in Exodus, I want to just briefly go back from the beginning of time when human history began in a home that God created for mankind, for humans. Adam and Eve, we know that story, right? The Garden of Eden, beautiful story. Seems very short, but it's beautiful. And it was there in the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve lived naked and unashamed. And they had perfect intimacy with God and perfect intimacy with each other. And that's where God placed them. And, of course, we know how it goes. God gave them a command. What that command was, don't eat of the the tree of knowledge in the middle of the garden, right? And in the midst of that, what takes place? We see that we have a tempter that comes and starts to engage Eve in this conversation. And in this conversation, the word of God starts to get twisted in her mind. And the more she engages him, the more the word starts to get twisted. And, of course, they eat. We know that. And with that, the Lord, what has now taken place is sin has entered in. And in the midst of that, sin has caused that brokenness, that brokenness of intimacy with God 
that brokenness of intimacy with each other. And from there, we start to move forward. Because even though they were expelled from the garden and two cherub, mighty angels were there with swords, they could never enter back in because of sin. They could never enter in. And not only that, after that fall, God basically brought on a punishment. And even in the midst of the curse, because of the sin, there was a promise. And it was there that God made the promise that his son was going to crush the head of the serpent. And that's a beautiful promise. Because God has always intended to have fellowship with his creation. His intention is not for separation from his creation. His intention is for fellowship with his creation. No matter what the enemy may tell you, God desires fellowship. And so Adam and Eve removed from the garden. Then we have Abraham, the promise given to Abraham. Out of one man comes a nation. And it's in Exodus that we find this nation in Egypt. And not only are they in Egypt, they're a very big nation. They're in slavery in Egypt. They're in bondage in Egypt. And that's where we're going to begin. And as they're in bondage, they are calling out to a God that has been passed down the knowledge from generation to generation to generation. And as they're calling out in their slavery, in their bondage, in their cruelty from the taskmaster who is ruling them in Mount Sinai, There was one that was raised up, was spared, and now God's communicating to him. And God's holy presence comes down, and in the midst of his glory, he commissioned Moses to go into Egypt, that he would be with him, because he hears the cries of his people. And he has a plan for them. He has a plan for their lives. He's a God who cares. He's a God who hears. And he's a God who has a plan. So Moses totally can relate to fear and trembling, kind of reluctant, doesn't really want to go, goes. And we know the story. If you've ever watched the Ten Commandments, I love that movie. Love that movie. What happens? Moses goes. And he goes to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was the lord over Egypt. And Egypt to the children of God is like this world. It represents this world. It represents slavery. It represents slavery to sin. It represents everything that opposes God. And Pharaoh represents the devil himself, the ruler, 
of that world, the Lord of that place, Egypt. Pharaoh was Lord. But God had a plan. In Jeremiah 29, 31, for I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord, plans for a future, plans for hope, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. That is the God in whom we serve. He's a good God, and he's got a plan. Oftentimes, because we don't see the plan all the time before our eyes, we start to question him, question his goodness, question his lordship, question his authority. And when we start to do that, that is what's going to get us in trouble because that's what got Eve in trouble. She started to engage with the enemy. And the enemy wants you to engage with him. But always remember this. The enemy is a liar. The enemy is out to destroy you. The enemy hates the God in whom you serve. And the enemy is always going to twist his word. And he's always going to try to put a veil to try to make him look bad, as if he's withholding something from you. And he's not. He's not. So as Moses goes in there, we know about the plagues, right? All the plagues that go through, go through, go through. And in the midst of these plagues, it's something strange. And I, I, I was reading this in Exodus, and it really jumped out. I, I felt like the Lord was just really kind of pulled my heart. And what, what started to take place was um, every time Moses went to Pharaoh, Pharaoh started to, he hardened his heart, it says. And then it says, God hardened his heart. And in the midst of this, though, he said, oh, Okay, okay, this is what I'm going to let you do. You keep coming. I keep getting these plagues and stuff. I, you know what? You can stay right here in Egypt, and you can worship the Lord. Right here. And that's exactly, that is exactly sometimes in the body of Christ is what's really going on. There are people that have decided to stay in Egypt and worship the glory, to bow to that compromise. And do you remember what, what Pharaoh represents? Who's the Lord of Egypt? Pharaoh. So if you stay in Egypt, you compromise, you stay in Egypt, and even though you're worshiping the Lord, but you're really living in Egypt, you're under his lordship. You're not going where the Lord's wanting to bring you. If you stay there. So Moses said, oh, no, 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 no. We're not staying here. God commands us. We're to go out into the, we're going out into the desert. We're going to be there worshiping in three days. So Pharaoh brings another one. Says, oh, okay. All right. Don't stay in Egypt. Just a little ways. Just stay on the rim. You can go outside of Egypt, but remain close. He's not our master, we don't listen to him. I'm sure that desert looked a little scary to a bunch of slaves. We're not talking about warriors. We're talking about slaves. And Moses said, oh, no, 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 we're going. And Pharaoh said, all right, you'll go, but leave your women and children. 
And Moses said, oh, no, no, no. We're going. All right, you go. But leave your animals. Oh, no, no, no. When God calls us, he's bringing all. His deliverance is complete. It's not halfway. It's not compromised. His requirements are to trust him wholly as you step out. That doesn't mean you won't be afraid. That doesn't mean you won't even be blind. It means that you're putting everything on him as you're listening to his spirit as he's calling you forward. But keep before you, for I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. So as they do that, the last plague comes. And we know what that last plague is, right? The death angel. And it's about this, it's going to be on this last plague that they're going to be released and they're going to go. And with the command God said, be ready, be prepared, be ready to go. But before you do it, this is what you need to do. You need to take the blood of a lamb, a pure and spotless lamb, and you're to put it over your doorpost because the angel of death is about to come. And he's not going to come saying, let me look at every Israelite and determine who's going to come and who's not. Because whether you were an Israelite at that time or whether you were an Egyptian at that time, if you had the blood over your doorposts, the angel of death was going to pass over you. It was not you the angel was looking at. It was the blood he was looking at. It was death would pass over when he saw the blood. Know your God. Behold your Lord here, way back here. So as the angel comes and they go, they go out, they go out rejoicing, and they go out with a lot. The Egyptians were like, get out of Dodge, get out of here. And they gave them gold, and they gave them everything. God provided even by their hand of their enemy for them. God's going to provide for you. God is still the same today, yesterday, today, as he will be forever. It's the God that you're serving. And he's calling. Go out into the desert. I'm bringing you into the promised land. And we're going this way. So they start in their journey as you have started on your journey. They were fearful and they were trembling, I'm sure, but they were rejoicing because, wow, here they are. They're getting delivered. Do you remember? Do you remember when you were first saved? Do you remember that day? Do you remember when your guilt, your sin was washed away? Do you remember that day? Were you happy? Were you 
ecstatic you should be. So they go out into this journey and here, bam, as soon as they get there, the Red Sea. Wow, that's huge. That is huge. Not only Red Sea in front of them, now they got their Egyptians coming after them. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? This is the journey that God's bringing you on. He brought us out here to kill us, didn't he? Didn't he bring us out here to kill us? There are things in your life that are so huge that you have no idea how you're going to pass. Is there holds in your life? You have no idea how you're going to be free from. We're like the Israelites. So Moses fell on his face, and the Lord said, get up. Now's not the time to be on your face. There's a time for prayer, and then there's time for action. He said, take that staff. You go, you touch, and we know that. The phone, ah, the waves, everything. Woo! And they walk through. I wonder what it looked like. I'm not sure. I don't know if Hollywood has it right, but I'm, I, I'm sure it was amazing, amazing, an amazing miracle, an amazing deliverance. They go through. The Egyptians after them. Ocean collapses on them. It says they saw from the shore the Egyptians floating, never to rise again. That's what the Lord has done to your enemies. He doesn't want you to be afraid. They are powerful against us, but they are nothing before the living God. And if you trust him, He desires a complete deliverance, not a compromise. He doesn't want you in Egypt. He wants you to continue forward into the land he has for you. And so he brings these people out into the desert, and these are slaves. And I don't know about you, but they were broken down. They were broken down, and they didn't understand the Lord. They didn't really know the Lord personally. And the Lord said he was going to reveal himself to them as Lord. And he faithfully, faithfully does. First we have, in this desert place, as God brings him there, he starts to reveal who he is. He wants them to know he's going to be their provider, right? Right? What do you give them? Manna. Manna from heaven. They didn't, have to, they didn't have to work for it. They didn't have to grow it. They didn't have to cook it. They didn't have to store it. They didn't have to do anything. They just had to go, get up every morning, go out, pick it up, eat it. That's it. God provided. No work, no effort, no nothing on their part. But they had to obey how God told them, and what God told them. Because there was a certain way they couldn't, they couldn't get too much. And on the day, the Sabbath, that's when they, the day before, they had to collect double. It was just God's provision. 
God was a shade by day. He was a fire by night. Their shoes didn't run out, run out, wear out. And there's a uh, Exodus 17, and I, I, I want to highlight this part because it was beautiful as I was reading through this. God really spoke to my heart. In Exodus 17, and of course, on this journey, we know that, that the Israelites, man, they, they had this tendency to grumble and complain. And, and just really, they kept defaulting to, it, God brought us out here to kill us. They, it, after a huge deliverance. After the mighty arm of God, they kept looking with a shaded view of God's heart toward them. God loved them with an everlasting love. Have you, in your difficulties, in your struggles, think that God is out to get you? I know when people go through hard times, it with my ears. I don't know why I'm going through this. I don't deserve this. It's that same type of lie in the human heart. It's the tendencies of humans. The tendency of human mixed with the lie of an, a wicked one is disastrous. If we step into it and we start to engage and we start to believe it. Because it creates an unbelief within our heart. And that unbelief, you might as well take poison and drink it. Unbelief destroyed the Israelites in the desert. And do you know in 1 Corinthians, it says there's great warning in the New Testament to look back onto this particular time that we're talking about in Exodus. There's great warning. So we need to heed the warning signs, too. So anyway, so here's in this beautiful journey in Exodus 17, the people were really thirsty. And they started to grumble and grumble. Ah, we're thirsty. We need water. We need water. And there's this picture, as I was reading it, And the Lord said, Moses, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take the elders, and I want you to take this staff. That's the staff that, with every plague, right, that came down on Pharaoh and the Egyptians, that staff represented God's judgment. He goes, I want you to take the elders, I want you to take this staff, and I want you to walk right through the middle of these people. And I to the rock of Horeb, I believe. And I will stand upon it. And you will strike it with that staff. And water will come out. The staff of the judgment of God with the Lord on this rock was struck. So water, living water, not that water. Jesus Christ was struck on the cross with the judgment of God for you, for you, for you, for me. And his water, living waters, is poured out for you and you and you 
me to drink. He's here in the desert with Israelites. He's here with us now. And so it says the water gushed out. They drank. Beautiful picture. Beautiful picture of our Savior. Oh, they're on their journey. They go right into Mount Sinai. It was in Mount Sinai, right, that that's where God told them, come back to this mountain, bring my people back here so you can worship me. So they get there. It is burning with fire. There is thundering. There is everything. And they are trembling. And God says, make sure they don't even touch this mountain. And not only are they trembling, actually Moses was trembling. It is a scary thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a scary thing. And Moses said to him, don't be afraid. God's testing you. God's testing you to see if you're going to fear him. The fear of God is a good thing. And so up Moses goes into that mountain, into that trembling thunder and lightning and everything that's going on. And God gives him things there. And what does God give him? The Ten Commandments. Written by what? The finger of God. On what? Tables of stone. The laws of Israel were written by man on parchments of paper. The commands of God were written by the fingers of God, the finger of God on stone. The commands are eternal. The commands are written by God. Jeremiah 31 says, I will write my commands. I will be their God. They will be my people. And I will write my commands where? Upon their heart. Jesus came to what? Abolish the law? The command? Jesus came to do what? Fulfill the command. When the Holy Spirit is working within our life, he will not lead us to break the commands of God. He will not lead us to abolish the commands of God. He will lead us to fulfill the commands of God. Because guess what? That's what Jesus did. So if at night, at the end of your day, you look at your command, or you go to bed, look at the Ten Commandments. I know it's, everybody, oh, that's the law, that's the law. Look at the Ten Commandments. If you've broken any of those commands throughout the day, get it right. Get it right with the Lord. With the finger of God, he will write his commands upon your heart. But, but up here in this mountain, the Lord also gave Moses an instruction. And what was that? Does anybody know? About the tabernacle. The tabernacle. He 
wants them to build a tabernacle. What is this tabernacle going to represent? God's presence. God saying, I want to come down and I want to abide with you. I want to abide with you. God loves us. He wants a dwelling place for, for himself with his people. So this tabernacle, what made it so special was not its looks. What made it special was its designer. It was totally designed by God. Every detail of it was given to Moses. Every detail. And it was not ornate. It wasn't the Taj Mahal. It wasn't Buckingham Palace. It was a tent. It was going to be a tent. And God's instructions had him actually start from the inside out. And what it was, was you had this. There it is. Thank you, Keith. You did get it. There it is. It's the tent. You have the, the bronze altar, the bronze basin. And then as you, that's on the outside. And then as you move through, you step into the holy place. And there's three pieces of furniture in there. And then you step into the Holy of Holies, and there's one piece of furniture in there. Not much. Doesn't seem like there's much at all. We're going to start where God started. And he said, in this place, the Holy of Holies, I want you to build an ark. An ark is what? It's a little box, little box. It was supposed to be made out of archaea wood, I believe. And then it was to be covered with pure fine gold. Pure gold. Everything. Hooks. Everything. But that, that's beautiful as far as the purity. Everything was covered with pure gold. And it talks about the purity of God. The holiness of God. But in this box were to go those commands that God just gave him. And above that was a seat. And it was called the mercy seat. And he said, and carve out in one piece two angels coming over this mercy seat and their wings touching and covering over. And I will come and speak to you from above the mercy seat. So picture that. You have the command of God in the ark. You have a mercy seat that was going to get the blood sprinkled on it. Two angels covering it. And now God coming above that. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. That mercy seat is the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you remember 
when Jesus died, he was in the grave, and the disciples, on one account, they go running, running, and they run in, and guess what? What, what was there? What, what beings did they behold? Two angels. Where, were their, where was the angels' locations? One at the head and one at the feet. One at the head and one at the feet. It's a shadow and a copy. Beautiful picture of your Lord. Beautiful picture of what God, what God has, implant, has planned for you from the beginning of time. Is that you might find mercy. So, after it was all completed, the glory and the presence came down, filled the temple, the tabernacle, and Moses went in. And after everyone left, there is one that was there. It says, you see this little text in the Bible. It was Joshua. Joshua just loved hanging out there, lingering in the presence of the Lord. While all the other Israelites, as Moses would pass out, because this, ta- this tabernacle was outside. So as Moses would pass through, all the Israelites would come out to their tents, the door of their tents, and they would watch Moses go, and they would see the glory of God from afar off. But they could never enter in. They could never enter in. They could only look upon it from a distance. And they had to have sacrifices on a daily basis for their sins. But those sacrifices of blood, the blood of bulls and goats, could never remove their sin. God doesn't do a halfway job. The deliverance will be complete. The freedom will be full. So as he went, and he would meet, and they would look on. And for years, years and years and years, after the tabernacle, the tent was built. I mean, the temple was built. And the high priest was, how many times? How many times a year? One time. One time. And the, the, the beautiful veil that separated the holy place and the holy of holies, and, and inside even the, the holy place, we have, a, we have the, the light, the tree, the candelabra, gold. We have the table of bread with the 12 loaves of bread representing the 12 tribes of Israel. We had the incense burning incense, had to be continually going day and night along 
with the lampstand, the golden lampstand, continually. That's what, the, that's what the priests did on a continual basis in the holy place. And they would look. They couldn't enter into this holy of holies, but they would look, and on this, this huge four-inch thick piece, it was like they stepped into heaven because there was, God said it was blue, and it had angels actually woven into it. And it said that once who actually built these, God picked the men and his spirit came upon them for even as for the building of all this. Beautiful picture. So the, 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 the high priest must felt like, wow, I, I feel like I'm almost in heaven here. Never, never could he get beyond that curtain except once a year. And that was only one man. Nobody else could go. Nobody else could go into the presence of God. Here were the people. They longed for their God. Their God's presence was with them, but they couldn't enter into that presence. Nor could they be free, their conscience, from the sin. And we find, I think it's in the, the account of, I have it here. Oh, before I go there, there is one piece I have. It's John 1.14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt. That word dwelt, do you know what that means? Tabernacled. The word became flesh and tabernacled. Among us. So God's glory is now descending. And he's descending now through his son, Jesus Christ. And, of course, we know the life, excuse me, of Jesus. In the account of Matthew, it's Matthew 27, 50 and 51. And it happened when Jesus hung on the cross. He shouted out and he released his spirit. And with that shout, and when that spirit was released, what happened? The earth shook. And what happened? The curtain tore in half. The generations upon generations upon generations that could never enter in to the presence of God. And now God says, you haven't come to Mount Sinai, you've come to Zion. Come into the presence of the living God. He wants you totally out of Egypt. He wants you not to compromise. He wants you to trust him completely. He is going to bring you into the desert, but it's in those desert places that the Lord is going to reveal who he is to you 
as he did the Israelites. Don't be afraid of the desert places because it's not going to depend upon you. It's going to depend upon him. And as that curtain tore from top to bottom, could you not see Jesus then taking you and me on a tour and going by that brazen altar and says to you, to me, to the world, once for all, he put the end to the sacrifices of bulls and goats, which never had the power to take away sins from Hebrews 10, 4. And then we'll go by the bronze basin that would reflect the man's image as he would look into it, as the word reflects our heart. But it doesn't have the power to cleanse it. It points to Christ. It's his blood that cleanses our hearts. The washing over. And as you would step through the door into the holy place, Jesus would point to the lampstand, the golden lampstand, and say, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light. He would point to the table of bread, 12 loaves. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. The bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. From John 6, 33. And then we have the altar of incense. As he says, he always lives to make intercession for those who draw near to God through him. From Hebrews 7. And then we'll go through there to where only one man could go. And greater than that one high priest is one that has already gone. And that is Jesus himself. And now, behold the mercy seat with the commands of God underneath that we have all broken. But there's a mercy seat sprinkled with blood that cries out as the voice of God comes above it, that cries out, have mercy, Father. Forgive them. And not only does he just want to forgive you, he wants to adopt you and make you his own. Those Israelites were led out of Egypt not to hang out in the desert. Those Israelites were led out of Egypt to go to the promised land. God had a plan and an intent, 
and they had a responsibility and they had work to do and they had battles to fight. And we can't allow ourselves or each other to die in the wilderness because of unbelief. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Isn't that what he says? For the deceitfulness of sin hardens our heart. So I don't know where you're at in life. I do want to say that I know God gave me this for here. And this is why. Because when I got the phone call to come here, I was sick in bed with pneumonia. And I had this message. And I thought it was like a quick thought went through my mind. Boom, boom, boom. It was supposed to be for another church. But I felt like the Lord said, I closed that door, opening this door. I want you to step through. And I, in my delirium, I don't know, I had high fever. I said yes. I said yes. And then asked my friend, after I said yes, I said, what am I doing? I am crazy. I don't know why I said yes. I, I, I believe I was, I was following the Lord, but now that I'm thinking about it, now that I'm really thinking about it, my body is so weak. I mean, I couldn't even get up to go to take a shower every time I had to go lay back down. I don't know what I'm thinking about. How am I going to get up there and deliver? And not only that, I was running out of breath all the time. How do I deliver a message? And so, as I was preparing last night, the whole time the enemy has come, the whole time, who are you? Why are you going? You should not go there. The whole time. And on the other hand, the Lord said, I have a word for my people. I am going to be lifted up from above. And it's as he is lifted up, as you see the picture of who Jesus Christ is and who God is and how much he loves you, that everything else that's haunting you, everything else that's holding you down, everything else that's breaking your heart, look up and trust him. And if you are one who is sitting in Egypt, get out. Get out. Because you can't worship God there. You can't. And so I said to the Lord, last night I took a shower. And I was weak. And I said, Lord, unless your presence goes with me, I don't want to go. And the more I thought about it, I thought, how am I going to call Glenn? And I kept asking God, unless your presence goes with me, God, I don't want to go. I'm waiting for a word, waiting for a word, nothing, nothing. God's not saying anything to me. I go to sleep, I wake up. As soon as I wake up, that hymn comes to my mind. And I knew what the Lord was saying. He goes, I want my people to turn their eyes upon me. I want my people to see me. I want my people to behold their God. I said, Lord, please tell me your presence is going with me. I am weak, and I don't know if I can do this. I went downstairs, asked my husband, opened my 
little daily devotional that I was reading. And this is what it said. Get up and go. The Lord has gone before you. And then he talked about Moses. God has gone before me. This is God. God loves his people. God loves you. God knows where you are. God does not want you to stay in the wilderness, in Egypt. He has a destination. He has a plan. Do not let the enemy rob you. Do not let his lies come in. Because I know what those lies are like. I got pelted with them last night. I'm here. My lungs feel so clear, I can't even tell you. I can't even tell you. And that's the specifically I had my friends praying. That's what my sister is praying. And my lungs would clear up so I could give this message. Not one time did I feel like I was running out of my breath. So, let's rise. Let's give glory to God. Whatever is holding you back, whatever is causing, whatever the enemy is using to want to keep you where the Lord would not have you, Get up and move to him. Move close to him. He's done it all for you. He loves you. The blood of his covenant is everlasting. He's alive. He's alive. This is his church. This is his bride. Don't damage it. Don't damage it. Lift him up. Because he says, if I be lifted up, let him deal with his children. Let him deal with his own. If you need forgiveness, come to the mercy seat. The blood has been shed once and for all, for eternity. Shed blood that speaks to the Father. The shed blood speaks for your mercy, for your cleansing. So you will become whole, so God can equip you to do what he's calling you and commissioning you to do. He's given you gifts. He's given you promises. He's given you his presence. He's given you his son. What more do you need? So let's worship the Lord together.